Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 207 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. Well, in our last episode, we talked about collaboration tools and technologies, and we actually broke the news that the second edition of our book on that subject is scheduled to be available in March. In this episode, we decided to try to answer a question I recently asked Tom. Is there actually a personal knowledge management approach or tool that will actually work? We'll be interested in your thoughts on this topic as well and, and invite your comments uh, after you listen to the episode. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be revisiting the topic of personal knowledge management, uh, both what we're using and some of our recommendations for everybody. In our second segment, we'll, we're going to take a look at what got our attention from the recent Consumer Electronics Show that took place in Las Vegas. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, personal knowledge management in 2018. Can we make it finally work? It seems like we talk about this topic, I think, every couple of years, right, Dennis? I, we're never completely satisfied with the tools that we use to keep track of our personal knowledge, or maybe as we've been discussing before we started recording, maybe it's not the tools, maybe it's the process that we're doing. And it seems like the tools are always evolving, though, to some extent. And so kind of here we are again, we, we find ourselves back in the position of asking, what are we doing? What's working? What's not working? Maybe, Dennis, it might make sense to start off by, you know, start at the beginning and let's tell people what we mean by personal knowledge management and, uh, and, and what problem we think it's going to solve. You know, it's kind of funny, Tom, that it seems like, to me, thinking about personal knowledge management over the years, it's just a natural concept to me. But it is true that when I, I mention the term to people, they they do want to, to get a sense of what actually I might mean by that. And so, um, as in all things, I like to start at uh, the by going to the Wikipedia, of course. And so Wikipedia, it uh, there's a definition of personal knowledge management as a collection of processes, and that's an important term, that a person uses to gather, classify, store, search, retrieve, and share knowledge in their daily activities and in the way in which these processes support work activities. And it's that second piece where I'm 
been running into problems lately and what prompted my question to you, Tom, which is how do I take what I've gathered, stored, um, and hopefully retrieved uh, to actually support what I'm doing in a useful way rather than feeling I've that I've done a great job of collecting things, maybe a decent job of tagging or filing them, but then not sure exactly how I grab them in useful ways to support, say, what I'm writing, uh, whether I'm doing a presentation, or just when I want to, to pull together a bunch of information in a useful way for, for something that I'm researching and, and moving, moving forward. So I think that, Tom, I guess the, the highlights I have there is that in that definition, it doesn't talk about specific tools. It talks about a collection of processes. And then I think this notion of moving from storage to to actual use. Is that a good way to talk about personal knowledge management? I think it is. I think that, um, at least from my perspective, you may admit this as well, but I'm going to admit it right up front, is that that second part, the way that these processes support work activities, is not something that I have a good handle on, and it's not something that I even really think about that often. Here's my startling confession, maybe not so startling, which is that I think I do a pretty good job of personal knowledge management in terms of that front end of, of gathering, of classifying, of storing, the ability to search and retrieve that information, um, the ability to share it with other people. I think I do a pretty good job. Do I ever go back to it? Do I ever actually use it? Do I ever remember that it's there to go back to? That's where really my big block is, is that I forget to go back to it. I forget that it's there. I don't make use of it. And I don't think that that's an issue that's solved by technology. I hope that's not a function of getting older on my part. But I, I view that the second piece, you know, I think we, we may actually spend more time today talking about the first piece, how you actually put together a knowledge management system, a personal knowledge management system. But I really think that acting upon it is going to be the great challenge that, uh, that we and probably I would argue most lawyers are going to have. Well, and I think it's interesting because in the personal world, you tend to, I, I agree with you, Tom, I, I think when you say, how do I turn this into action? And when you're looking at sort of classic knowledge management, you say, oh, there are certain things I that you do, say like expert locators, uh, you, you know, ways to to find things that I've already done before, you know, things that are reusable. Brief, brief banks. Those yeah. Types of things. Yeah. Brief banks. And then also this, this notion of there's research that's already been done. Uh, maybe I can find some ways to say, Hey, if, uh, these things are related or I want to pull together everything on a certain concept across, you know, a, a bunch of different containers. Those things make sense. And and that's the, when I say turn it into action for personal, a lot of those ideas come through because you'd say, well, I do this sort of expert location for, for example, like who's an expert on these topics? Usually I'm kind of relying on my memory or asking somebody, but, you know, if you gather enough information, information, you'll be able to, there are ways to find that out. And that's sort of like one of the attractive things to me about, you know, machine learning and, and in a way, Tom, when you think about it, some, I always feel like those, those great 
e-discovery tools, um, if you'd use them on your own personal stuff, could be great you know, to recognize patterns, to visually show things, stuff like that. So that is the piece of personal knowledge management I sometimes find missing. And then also the way to take that what you that you do find and then to turn it into action. So sort of pull it out. Can I pull it out into something that, that I that I can work on? So that's that action piece is is really kind of interesting. But I don't know, Tom, why, why don't we talk about the KM and the personal KM process? I feel like I've been talking about this for a long time. I know that I, I wrote an article on do-it-yourself knowledge management in 2003 and have spoken about uh, personal knowledge management and DIY knowledge management for, for a while. But I think it really does come down to kind of sketching out what the processes really are. And I, I think it's it really just starts with finding things, the gathering piece. Well, I think obviously that gathering piece, and I really call it capture, but capture, gather, however, I think is the first part. But for me, there's three main requirements for any knowledge management, any personal knowledge management system anyway. The first is that you can capture it, that you can gather it, that you can easily collect that information and put it into a repository, I guess a preferably a central repository because multiple repositories uh, make it difficult to know where they are, difficult to retrieve and search. It needs to ultimately make its way into one place. I think we'll talk about why I say ultimately in a minute because I, my system doesn't automatically get everything into one place immediately. Um, but it has to be fast. It has to be functional. It has to be fun because if it's not any of those things, you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Um, the next, that next requirement is to curate. Just because you collect it doesn't mean that you really want to keep it, um, or it doesn't mean that you want to keep it forever. You've got to have some process of going back through it initially and culling out what you don't need or don't want, um, and then periodically over time to make sure that it's still going to be relevant, that it's still timely, that it's applicable to what you need, that it hasn't gone out of date, that sort of thing. Finally, it's got to be searchable. You have to either be able to retrieve or find it easily, or you're not going to take the time to do it. That's where it comes back to fast, functional, and fun. That's why you can't just store everything in a computer, excuse me, a folder on your computer. I, I think it's a little bit better that you can store it like on Dropbox or on Box, but frankly, only marginally, because successfully searching for it means that you have to be able to classify it. You've got to be able to tag and organize that information. And so that's what that's part of what makes it searchable. So for me, those are the three major requirements of a successful personal knowledge management system. Anything else that needs that I forgot about that needs to be added to that? No, I think it's all elaboration on on that. And I look back. So when I started my legal career, it was fairly common for lawyers that I worked with to, to do, and sometimes just uh, these amazing collections of just these file folders stuffed with copies of articles. And I never knew that they actually went back and looked at those things, but they were- They never uh, did. They were they never amazing went. collections. So, so there is that gathering piece, but then there is that- curation notion too, where you say, all right, if I'm talking about technology, this is what I always thought about. It was great. was about writing about technology that basically, you know, stuff that was more than six months old was not, you know, typically all that useful to you. So you, you sort of by its nature, 
of, of the pace of change, then you didn't have to keep stuff going going back so far. But you need to kind of take a look at that. And then I think you, you say uh, fun. I think that's a piece of it. But I think there's this sort of universality of it. So what I like to do is say, I don't know exactly what should go in there or how much I want to work I want to do on the putting stuff in. But I, I want to know that I can throw everything into one place. So if I see something that says, oh, here's or I hear on a podcast or read somewhere like, oh, this this ETF might be a good investment. I want to throw that in some place that says, here's possible investments or, you know, financial or something like that, where I can say, when I'm thinking about that, I have all that stuff collected in one place and I can go back to that. And that's sort of what, what I've done. And so I think it's that, I don't know whether that's the right word, Tom, but sort of that universality so that in my personal KM system, I want everything to go in there. Well, and I agree. I agree with that, but I think I may handle it slightly different based on what I'm hearing you say. And maybe, maybe it's not so much different. I tend when I'm, when, when I'm either looking for things, when I'm either gathering my information and gathering can be an active activity or it can be passive gathering. It can be just something that I find that I want to make sure that I save. Everything goes into basically an inbox of my repository. And we'll talk about specific tools in a minute. But I don't really even take time to think about what I want to do with it at that point in time. It goes into the inbox because it's important enough to me there that I want to come back to it later. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have to review it. I don't want to have to do anything with it. So it goes back to the inbox where then I can go back at a later time. And then that's where, to me, curation is kind of a two-step process. That's the first part is I go through that inbox. I decide um, I, I kind of take a David Allen getting things done approach to it, which is, is there anything in there that is actionable that I can do something about right then and there? Uh, is there something that I just want to keep for reference? Is there something that I want to do something more about, but uh, it's going to take me a while to do it? That will help me both tag and categorize and folder, whatever you want to call it. It helps me classify what happens to that information later. So um, I, I don't go through my inbox all at once. I take it a, a couple of chunks at a time, but that's generally how I do it. There's no thought at all that goes into actually gathering the information. The thought really comes around with the curation. Yeah, and, and so I think that I actually use a different term for it or a different approach than inbox, but I'm doing exactly the same thing. So it's sort of like whether it's uh, in an RSS feed, whether something on Twitter, whether it's an article I see or something, I'm pointing things to one place in Evernote where I'm dumping it. And it's sort of my thought process is hmm, interesting enough that I, I should keep at some level. Um, there may be some other things where I say, uh, this is sort of, I know where this is going to fit. So like I said, you, you see something where somebody says, oh, this, this is a good time to invest in Japanese mutual funds. And you go, oh, I just throw it. So let me throw that into the investment section of Evernote, which is, is what I'm, I'm using these days. But I think there is a part that says, okay, first it's like a triage where I'm going like, oh, this stands out enough to me as something I want to go back to or might be useful to me. So 
just get it dumped into the system. And so there it is, uh, you know, whether, like you said, whether it's gather or what, I forget the term that you used, uh, which is also a good one, but that, that initial, capture. yeah, capture, harvest, you know, uh, something like that where you're saying, I'm just grabbing the stuff that's going to be useful to me uh, and then getting it into an area where I can start to do the second thing, which is more in the nature of, to me, uh, tagging or uh, folders, but the curation notion. Is that sort of the right way to describe it, Tom? I think so. Although I will say I kind of have... My process is a little bit more tortured than that because what I will generally do is that when I when I go through that inbox, if it's something that I actually want to do something on, um, and this is probably where my system falls apart and where I actually can't do as much action on as I want to, is if there's an action to be taken, I will put it in a separate, now I've tagged it with a to-do tag, and I don't want to tell you right now the size of my to-do folder or the size of my to-do tag because it just sits there and I haven't gotten back to it. And that's tend to, it tends to be where it goes. But that, to me, is the most logical way because, for example, the Japanese mutual funds, if I put that into a into a investing or, or you know Japanese mutual fund folder, it will sit there and I'll never go back to it. I need it to be in a place where I can assign an action to it or I need to add it to my task manager as part of that that or else it's never it's never going to happen after that that's exactly what i do is that i say okay so then i grab that stuff from time to time out of so let's just use the investment folder concept and i say oh in my in omnifocus i have something that i schedule to come up either like once a month or once a quarter probably once a quarter that says you know think about investments or you know something to, to that effect and then i pull stuff out of the evernote suggestions into omnifocus and i guess i could also link which are think about it, it would be simpler and then then it becomes this to-do item that's just like a review these and think if you want to do something and then it gets into the to-do system so you get the three steps and you're in there sort of manual and i guess that's what i'm i'm looking for is some way to automate that in in a meaningful way that's why hey you know i was saying um we discussed in a little bit more detail earlier before the show that it, there's i just have this notion this is a place where like machine learning and in very simple ai would be really helpful to me to kind of figure out what's what's in there and to help me move it that's sort of like my personal cam fantasy at the moment well so i think that this is probably the first part during this section of the podcast where we might say if anybody out there is aware of a tool that can do something like that then we want to hear from you and we've got a hotline number for you to call or an email address or a linkedin address just to send us something to but you know i I actually was was thinking about it as you're describing it, and in a minute we're going to probably talk a little bit more about Evernote. But I, I use Evernote also, and Evernote does have a learning function to it. There was a time I don't do it as much as I used to. There was a time that because I was traveling so often, I wanted to know kind of what the new and interesting restaurants were in the area. So whenever I found an article in a magazine, or if I found something online about a hot new restaurant to try in a basic city, I would go in and I created an entire folder for restaurants, but then I would tag it by the city. So if I was going to a particular city, I just hit that tag and I'd be able to see all the restaurants 
that I had tagged. I can now, if I capture a web page for a restaurant, Evernote knows to put it in a in the folder called restaurants. It doesn't know what tag it needs to be, but it automatically suggests for me to put in that tag. So there is some I think learning going on there, it's probably not as advanced or as automatic as you want it to be, um, but it's at least a start. You know, as I think about that and I think about what I'm looking for in a tool, personal KM tool, I'm thinking, geez, I need to go back to our friend Heidi Alexander's uh, Evernote book and, and really start to do some learning in there because there could be some of the this functionality and ways to port things out because for me, I think the main thing for me is going to be to get things into one part of the KM system and then be able to easily pull them out into the into the task manager part of, of the system. And you're right, it, it could be that. And I, I think part of the thing is that uh, with personal KM, there's like a, a number of tools that can do what you want depending on the amount of information you have in, the volume, how you use that. I mean, Evernote to me is really interesting because it certainly satisfies the notion of uh, ubiquity and being able to uh, to access it from anywhere through apps. Tom, you and I were talking about OneNote um, as being an, another way to do that. Uh, that I could see work really well. Uh, for certain projects, maybe something like a, a Scrivener or some of these these other, uh, uh, you know, in the Mac world, uh, certainly for projects, writing projects and, and the like, might be a, a good place for at least a portion of what you do. So I think that's that's always been the trick. You could kind of roll your own or you could have, you know, I know people who would do just like Word documents or spreadsheets or that sort of thing. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, so I, I think, you know, from our conversation earlier, Tom, I sort of feel like the getting the process right is going to make getting the tool right. I think that's true. But maybe to make sure that we don't <laughs> make this segment go on forever, maybe it makes sense to maybe talk about some of the tools or maybe now what we're using to do that. So I think we've established that getting that process right is going to be important. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the tools or, or what we do to accomplish it. We kind of been dancing around the edges of that. But Dennis, do you want to go ahead and say kind of what you do right now? Yeah, so sort of two main places I'm pulling things in. And email might be another. But uh, so one is is through Feedly, uh, through the, the blogs and other things I subscribe to. Um, so I can I save things that are that are interesting to me just as a, a save feature in Feedly. And if it's super interesting that I think I might want to use later, then I in Feedly, I can just send it to Evernote and it goes into one folder called Feedly, uh, not surprisingly. And then it's then it's all in in Evernote. Um, the stuff I pick up off of Twitter and social media, uh, again, typically I'm going to use I'm looking at an app and that's easy to send that to 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 Evernote to this to the same place. And so that that allows me to collect that stuff. The biggest gap I have right now is that I have no way that's effective for me and if somebody has an answer to this, I really love to know this. Um, I pick up so much from podcasts, but there's just no way for me to keep track of those that that really works. That's that's easy, um, and so I do that. And then there are certain parts of the that I'll, 
I'll do in Evernote where I might break things out into different folders, uh, you know, and then then in certain cases I'm pulling it into OmniFocus as a as a two do item or something that I call incubate in OmniFocus. So it's just a, a set of tasks that I know I'm going to look through what's in there from time to time. So my system actually is, the on the front end, is almost identical to yours. I use Feedly also. Feedly is still my favorite I guess my favorite alternative to Google <laughs> to Google Reader, RSS Reader. I know there's a couple out there for iOS that are pretty good, but Feedly still has most of the features that I want. I, I still think RSS is one of the best media for communicating information, and I recommend that if you're trying to research or keep up with stuff, um, setting up some feeds that you regularly get is, is important. I, too, send stuff to Evernote um, for that. I also do that with social media. Twitter primarily and send stuff directly where things change a little bit is I, I sort of break curating down into into two places uh, two phases the first part is there will be some articles that I find that I want to read um, I want to read for knowledge or I want to read to see whether I want to keep it and so those articles go to two different places. This is kind of where I <laughs> I diversify. Um, I use Pocket quite a bit uh, to save articles. Pocket is a great read-it-later tool. I like it better than Evernote to read articles in. I can then share that out to social media or just send it to my Evernote if I decide that it's important to keep. Sometimes I'll decide, you know what, this is a good article to read. I can delete it. I don't need to keep it. Sometimes the, doc the articles that I get are in PDF format. They're not web pages. They're actual documents to read. And I want to save those for long term sometimes. And I actually load those on my iPad into PDF Expert. And I'll read those and I'll, I can annotate them. I can highlight them. I can mark them up. I can make notes and things. Then after I'm done there, then I can actually send that to Evernote as well. Um, everything else goes into my Evernote inbox for review. Um, the second part of curation is going through that inbox, deciding, did I do I still really want to pay attention to this? Do I still really want to keep it? Um, do I need to have an action item on it? What I find, though, and where I'm really struggling in my system is, is that I'm really torn between both Evernote and OneNote as my end tool, because I think that Evernote really, really excels in the capture piece of web pages primarily. It captures lots of things well, but I think it really excels in capturing web pages where OneNote struggles in that area. Um, another area where I think Evernote um, excels is in the, the tagging features. I really like the ability to search and to do things by tag. Uh, I, the OneNote tags are okay, but they're not what I would prefer. On the other hand, OneNote is great for almost everything else. I use OneNote for work. I love taking notes in it. I love handwriting notes in it. Um, there are, to me, a lot of shortcomings for Evernote in these areas. And so I use them both. And I this is where I, my process breaks down a little bit because I struggle in the best way to, to manage it. We took a two-week vacation to China and Japan last year, I used Evernote as the travel notebook. It worked flawlessly. It was perfect. I was able to save stuff there. I was able to create notes about where we were going. It was really a great system to do that with. And I think, frankly, OneNote's searchability is even better than Evernote's. Evernote's got good searchability. OneNote, in, in my opinion, is better. So, I mean, that's kind of where I fall down. I, I think that, that no matter what tools you use, um, you need to make sure that one 
it's ubiquitous. It's on all platforms. Two, you have the ability to move your information from app to app if you're going to use more than one tool. Um, and I really think that web clipping ability is super important because one of the things I really like about Evernote is I use G my Gmail account. Um, Evernote allows me to clip that email into my that Gmail into Evernote in a way that it looks great. Whereas if I tried to do it with OneNote, it just looks sloppy and messy. And that's one thing that I really wish that, that OneNote could uh, could do better. I've been talking a long time, Dennis. Anything to add to that or any you know tips? Do we want to have some tips to wrap this section up? I think it's more questions really than tips because I, I think we've reached a point where there may be I mean, the process, getting a good handle on the process is actually talking about this uh, has really helped clarify some, some things for me and in, in how I do things just in the course of this conversation. But well, you're better off than me. <laughs> well, because I because I see how that piece from Evernote to OmniFocus is is where I should put my attention. And then I'm also intrigued because I think this is an area because you're always looking to say, oh, I'd like to figure out a way to use some new technology like what can i possibly use ai for what can i use machine learning for you know that sort of thing or some visual data visualization tool or analytics tool and i go like i i have a lot of data here and some of the things i'm looking for would actually like the visual tools or things that just let me know like hey do you know that uh you know, certain authors have written about, you know, so many articles about this that would help you identify experts or, you know, that, that sort of thing or see trends, that sort of thing. So I can see some ways that small, small tools might improve some of that, but I think it's getting the process down is a big thing. And then, as you said, we're interested in hearing from people who think they've figured out a way to do this and the tools they use or the KM companies who think they have a tool that could be used on the personal side. We'd love to hear about that and to get to get our listeners' uh, opinions, because I think this is a, a universal problem for people. And although there might be different nuances, um, and I don't think there's a magic bullet, definitely, uh, it'd be good to share information or, as they say, to share the knowledge and, and see how we can all come up with better ways to do this. Yep, totally agree. Think that uh, we would benefit from your tips, your your suggestions, your best practices, your strategies. Um, we're you know we're both available on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, we do have the uh, voicemail line at seven two zero four four one six eight two zero. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, um, we might play it on a future podcast if we like it. Uh, so uh, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on personal knowledge management and what you're doing to tackle that. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. You get home from an event where you've met some potential clients. 
You create a text expander snippet with a follow-up message, use fill-in fields for the contact name and custom topic, quickly produce personalized emails to everyone by expanding and filling in your snippet, share your snippet with colleagues, and everyone gets done faster. Visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, Tom is all revved up after following the news stories out of the 2018 Consumer Electronics Show. It's easy to get caught up in the hype of of one of the biggest technology events of, of the year. But, you know, sometimes there's a lot of hype. I mean, I, I, how is that 3D TV working out for you these days? Tom, what might be different this year and what caught your attention? So for the record, I do not own a 3D TV, just to clear that and get that out of the way. I don't think anybody um, does at this point. I'm not sure. Um, so what was interesting to me was um, was sort of uh, the disasters that befell uh, the Consumer Electronics Show this year. They they had some gully washers of rain that basically stopped all the outdoor activities, and then there was one hall that completely lost power for a number of hours during the day. But but what I found that was interesting about Consumer Electronics Show is if you look at the people who make a living talking about consumer electronics and that they go to the show year in and year out, the most common theme that I got was that everybody came away with different trends. Almost all of them had a different takeaway. Some thought that virtual reality was hanging in there and was, wasn't was dead yet. And others thought that health wearables were the next big thing. And, and some say that 5G technology is now the hot technology, that 4G is dead and 5G technology is happening. What I found that was interesting is that Less and less is happening at the Consumer Electronics Show every year. The crowds are getting smaller. Everybody mentioned that crowds are a little bit smaller. And that's because the major manufacturers um, are either making the big announcements either at different conferences, not this one, or they're doing their own event. You know, Google has its own event. Apple has its own event. Windows has their own event. Um, so there, that, that's what I'm, I, I'm noticing that it, the, the attendance is a little bit small. But here are the sorts of things that I really came away with that are interesting to me. Uh, I think number one on the list was um, last year was the year of, uh, of Amazon and the Echo. Um, this year was the Google Assistant. Google Assistant is everywhere. And actually in the, the one tool that came out of that that is interesting to me, I've had a, an Echo show for a while now. I really like the, t- the, the touch screen and the visual screen and being able to talk to it and get information. The Lenovo Smart Display is going to be very similar to that, but it's going to use the Google Assistant. I think Google Assistant has probably got the most interesting plays now for being everywhere that you want to be. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming out of there. I think that this set the stage for wireless charging being everywhere. Um, a lot of play about autonomous cars. I mean, cars that had no steering wheels and no anything, which is a little bit scary. Probably one of the most interesting devices that I saw was the phone where the fingerprint sensor was sort of built in under the screen. So there's nothing there that it's just automatically built in, kind of an unusual thing, but but still very interesting to me. Um, I think that uh, the Internet of Things is continuing its inevitable march towards taking over everything, that there's going to be sensors and data 
all over the place and they're going to be measuring you and getting information on you uh, wherever they happen to be. And then probably the coolest tool that I saw the whole time was called the Samsung Wall. It was a 146-inch television that they called a modular TV. It can function kind of as a multi-purpose display. You could have part of it showing one thing, part of it showing another, but it's all one big screen and it just looks like an amazing thing. I would never get it or use it, but it still looks pretty cool. All right, that's enough of my sort of CES fanboy. Anything uh, that, that struck you from what you've been able to see about it, Dennis? Well, I read this interesting article that was uh, commenting on how much of the stuff it CES didn't actually seem to work. It seemed to be like really beta stuff, and there were things that didn't work. The article is sort of funny, too, because when you think about how something might need to work in that type of setting, it's like pretty amazing that stuff works anyway, you know, with all the all the people, all the noise, you know, everything that's that's going on there. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I, I agree with you. Uh, on the Google Assistant Alexa uh, thing, which I would call more sort of a voice assistant as a platform. And so you have these, those voice assistant, virtual assistant, uh, now being able to be put into any number of devices. I think that's really interesting. I know there was a huge amount of interest in this, uh, to me, quite expensive robot dog that- uh, Ibo. So there you go. And then time, I, I, it, it seems at some point we would have to turn this into like, uh, you know, like an audio file show because there were some, uh, some really cool headphones and uh, the, the sort of digital converters that uh, would allow you to, to sort of measure what's right for, for the sound for your ear uh, and, and then to to do almost like a sound theater approach with headphones and talk about actually uh, coming up with a way to do surround sound with headphones that really worked well. So um, I don't know, Tom, I feel like I both you and I are in, into this headphone thing, but it seems like there's even more headphones to get our attention. We need a side podcast on headphones and speakers. I see that in our future. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So if you were listening to our podcast, our resolution podcast, one of my resolutions was to get more into learning about and testing out smart home products. And so I've made I've made small steps toward that. Uh, I have a couple of smart plugs that I really like. Um, but I, I bought something, and I may be speaking to the choir here. You may already be doing this, but for me, it's new. For some of you, hopefully, it's new. Um, I went and I bought just a couple of pair, a couple of smart light bulbs. Uh, I bought a Philips Hue, H-U-E, starter packet, which comes with a hub that connects to four light bulbs. Um, I plugged those light bulbs into a couple of lamps that I have and it's really cool playing with them I can set just about any color in the color spectrum uh, blue green yellow red uh, I can set it as a tropical sunset or an arctic blue or a night light um, I can I can just make the light do whatever I want to but it's really setting the timers on it being able to turn the lights on and off from remote locations um, that's really been very interesting to me and it's nothing magical it's nothing uh, that's I think revolutionary, but it certainly is an interesting way to deal with a smart home and to sort of take control of all of that. And best of all, that's just a $50 starter package with the hub and the four lights. Uh, so Philips Hue, um, I've been enjoying it so far. 
And I'm going to recommend, I don't know how useful this is, but it's it's really fun. And this is sort of like the one of these hot things as we record this. Over the last couple of days, people are all sort of uh, talking about this. But Google has an app called the Arts and Culture app. And it's designed to to help you see things in museums and has, you know, a, a bunch of different uses. But the one that people are interested in is you can take a selfie and it will compare you to a, uh, to paintings in the in the database. And then it will suggest the paintings that are best matches uh, for you in terms of the people or the person in the painting actually looks the most like you. So, which is kind of interesting. So you take the selfie and then it suggests about five of them that have a decent match with you. So I did this and it's, and it's, it's interesting because if you do it multiple times, each time you do it, it seems like it suggests different things, but you see some consistency. So I had, I had two reactions. So the, the first one was that uh, there was one of, uh, portrait with a profile that was always in the top five for me. And, uh, and so my reaction was like, oh my God, I didn't realize my nose was that big. Uh, so you can find out things like that, which of course plays, you know, reveals your own insecurities. And then the other thing was like, wow, I look like a bunch of 17th century uh, uh, subjects of British painters, uh, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise either. But it's, it's kind of fun. And people people have been having fun with it and, uh, you know, disguising themselves, painting their faces to see see what happens. And then, of course, people, people Photoshop to put things out there, but it's kind of a kind of a fun thing. And if you find a good match, it could, you could you know buy a copy of uh, you know a print of that painting, frame it, put it in your office, and then notice of people who come to see you go like, oh my god, is that a picture of you or an ancestor of yours? I gotta say, none of the matches for me look remotely like me. I'm very disappointed by how this is working out, but uh, I'm gonna keep trying. But frankly, when you're done with the fun part of of this arts and culture app, seriously, go and look at the material. I, I, you will rarely find an app that has as much content in it. If you like art or are interested in it, it is it's got so much stuff in it. It's it's a great app, and it's absolutely free from Google. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we've talked about it many times before, get in touch with us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or send us a, a voicemail at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast... I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.